0: Hello and welcome. You are now listening to The Junk and Jam Hour, a live talk radio broadcast, a full 60 minutes of laughs, fun, and money. Well, maybe not money, but do take pleasure in the fact that you'll be getting to know someone new, like an artist, a musician, and author, or perhaps, a silly clown. That's got to be worth something, am I right? This is the Junk and Jam Hour only on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now for your on air host, Silly Clown, Christopher Albert. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. You are listening to the Junkin' and Jam Hour right here on Radio Free Brooklyn, the nonprofit community organization and freeform internet radio station streaming original content by New York City artists, along me, DJs, broadcasters, uh, you name it, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as always. I try to bring you someone interesting. My very special guest today is an accomplished artist, a native New Yorker, who after receiving her MFA from Yale University, excuse us, and her BFA from the Fashion Institute of Technology, she has went on to become a world-renowned, site-specific immersive installation artist don't worry if you don't know what that is we'll find out what it is with exhibitions all across the United States and Europe her astonishing her astonishing I just combined those two words (laughs) her astonishing (laughs) her astonishing exhibits often rooted in the stirring themes of the history of racist violence gentrification and lost regional history forces its audience to confront either their own contributions or inactions on issues that affect the well-being of their neighbors, including displacement, migration, marginalization, and cultural invisibility. Her elaborate work also offers a performance element, which typically brings the artwork out of its exhibition space and onto the streets, which she refers to as processionals, and has so far organized in several U.S. cities, including Washington, D.C., Baltimore, and, of course, right here in New York City. She's been graciously recognized for her very important work and has been the recipient of many accolades including the Joan Mitchell Foundation and the New York Community Trust Grants, uh, the Chuck Close Henry W. and Marion T. Mitchell Rome Prize, the United States Artist Fellowship, and the venerated Obie Award for her work as a scenic and costume designer, not to mention a residence at the American Academy in Rome. She's also been written up by the New York Times and the Washington Post. You guys don't know nothing. While much of her provocative collective work has been sourced from objects and materials found from the streets of the surrounding areas of her exhibition sites. She has since evolved, at least in my opinion, from her once straightforward principle of one person's trash is another person's treasure, to where she is now, a conscious, unpretentious woman who's committed to showcasing just how interconnected we all are through our much-aligned and messy histories. She is more than a mere abstract artist conveying vague sentiment, Through symbolism, she is a sincere architect of the retelling of our forgotten stories. Through the reflection of our once valued, discarded belongings, with the repurposing of miscellaneous antiquities, she helps to reconstruct a deeper, meaningful story behind the veil of our abandoned objects. You like how I wrote that? Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, I might sound, (laughs) guys, like I'm editorializing the out of her work, but trust me, it's all true. Her work is personal political, atypical, and divine, let us welcome sculptor, site-specific, installation, designer, architect, and engineer, educator, provocateur, the acclaimed multidisciplinary artist, Miss Abigail Dawn DeVille. Hello there. Hello.
1: Hello. Thank
0: you so much for having me. Yay. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm so excited to have you on. I've been waiting for this for years.
1: <laughs> I know, I'm glad we were able to make
0: it happen. We both went to art and design many years ago. We won't date us. Yes. We won't date ourselves, A&T guys.
1: And deep for life.
0: And deep on life. Whoop whoop. <laughs> you know I went into the new one. They now have a piano in the lobby. Can you believe that? Love it.
1: Really? What do That's we get?
0: Man. A broken escalator.
1: <laughs> we
0: had lots of broken things. Right. This is a broken pencil. Draw! We've come a long way. Now, obviously, it's we've all been in quarantine. Thankfully, we still have our lives. We still have our health. And of course, lots of love to those who have been affected by it um, and who have lost uh, people. Because, hey, it's Memorial Weekend. It's a party for everyone else. You have been in quarantine. You have been binge-watching documentaries. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> i been
1: watching documentaries. Okay, yeah. I think at the first Few weeks of quarantine, I was obsessively watching uh, some artist documentaries. Yeah. Specifically like Painters, Picasso, whatever. Ah. And yeah, it just went down, you know, the documentary rabbit hole. But.
0: I love that. Now, we'll talk more about you being an educator, but does that also inform, you know, how you instruct? Just keeping abreast of all the information that you might have forgotten from school? <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. Being being an educator or yeah, or being someone who has the privilege and opportunity to be in front of, you know, young, fresh, bright eyed artists. (laughs) Kinda like you you trying to collect as much information as possible that you could have as a reserve to be able to share with them anything that could be helpful with their working on.
0: I love that. And I love how you're not trying to rub off your cynicism onto them. So not that I (laughs) could not that I consider you a cynic. Now well, again, because we're that old, if you could go back twenty years, did you ever imagine yourself being committed to living as a full time jet setting artist? (laughs) Absolutely
1: not. I don't know what I thought I was gonna
0: do twenty years. I saw that in your eyes, by the way. (laughs) Huh? I saw that in your eyes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, no idea, no idea. I love that. I mean, it was zero ambition, right? It was just, you know.
0: Yeah, but you've always had supportive parents.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Even though you didn't know what you wanted to do, they were like, you know, whatever it is will help you.
1: Well, my mom like broke her foot off on my backside. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me break my foot off you. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, "You're not gonna waste your talent." So could. Uh, she, she I love that. Do a lot of things that I was not interested in doing when we were in high school. One being is that I um I went to the Cooper Union Saturday program from '96 to '99, and I was <laughs> not that happy about it. But I I will say I will credit it with being the reason why I'm an artist now. I
0: love that. I love that. So now you could have just settled for painting with a brush on your little canvas. <laughs> <laughs> How did you end up doing this intricate work of sculpture without getting into specifics, though? But, I mean, it's it's such a labor of love, obviously. Any any art, obviously, is. I, I feel like I do paint just
1: with objects. And yeah. uh, I think... Super size was always my natural <laughs> scale, right? Like, mm. I just it makes just feel right when it's a, a room size installation or intervention. it's very hard for me to make something that's you know eight and a half by eleven, or you know something that's that's small. It's, Is
0: it just it's, too it's restricting of a space?
1: Yeah, and and, and I need dirt. I need that to be, like, the the base layer of something, right? Like, I need a a fact or a history or something used, something that has some sort of residue to it, and then be in conversation and rip off of that. And, you know, like, it's daunting to think about, like, a blank page or a blank surface, and and especially, like, a compressed space.
0: Yeah. So your work, for the most part, can be described, as you say, site-specific installations. (laughs) That give physical presence to unspoken histories and forgotten past. Extrapolate on that a little bit. I mean, you go into a space at, at this point. You know, you already have this goal to tell stories of the past using found objects. First of all, for those of us who aren't as cultured, what are site-specific installations? So it's
1: when somebody makes something within a landscape. Or you know, a, uh you know, like a city alleyway somewhere that's not an institutional or gallery space. Yeah, and then they make it there and they leave it there, and it's usually usually has a kind of it has a time based element built into it in terms of like that it, it's already inherently you know has death encapsulated within it right? because it's not protected from the elements and things like that. Right, but it's right. Just something. That lives outside of the potential, maybe of being, you know, viable or marketable or something like that. So, and when it, when it first really got, you know, hot in the streets, you know, when it got really popular, I don't think it's a, I think it, you know, like it. It actually feels like it could be an uh, analogous to like 1970s like graffiti practices in you know in New York right. City, right? Like it's right. not it's not unlike that. It's, it's very close to that.
0: It, it's like, you know, claiming your territory as an right. artist. Right,
1: making something in Does that make and, Does
0: that make your work more accessible to more people when you do at least outside, you know, site facility? Yeah.
1: Yeah. But because, now, you know, a lot of people are not going to pay, you know, like $25 to go to a museum to see something, right? But they may walk down the street and see something.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so I want to talk about, so, but you got into this place where, okay, I have a voice, you have a vision, and you want to tell other people's stories who the world or society has forgotten about. How did that loft, it's such a lofty objective, right? And it's become your signature work, and it could be such a big responsibility, you know, to bear, you know? What made you decide to go that What was that aha moment? I can do this for others who can't tell their stories anymore or who just don't have a platform to tell their stories right now.
1: Well, I mean, I, I think it probably started when I was an undergraduate at FIT. Uh, there was a moment where I was just kind of hit a wall and I was making a lot of things, but without any like real ideas, feeling them, yeah. just being excited to make stuff. And then... I I developed the first kind of research project was me just delving into the history of hip-hop and Uh seeing, you know, that it was like a true, you know, a true artistic movement that had a visual and performing and writing component, right? Like a real straight-up art movement and thinking about what what kind of intense struggle.
0: And a social message, right? Behind it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so thinking about just the the kind of freedom of expression or people competing with each other or people making each other better, but then yeah, but then all of the societal factors that led up to that explosive moment. Yeah. Um so that was a, like that was really the first research project and then thinking 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 through that and then larger, right, like trying to make these connections with small spaces of like my grandmother's project apartment or you know, like thinking about our place within the universe. Somehow
0: I got there.
1: I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure when that really happened. Maybe like around 2009. Oh, well, does it doesn't about the
0: universe. We so don't have to set a date to it, but you know, it. you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess as an know, artist, you get to this. There, I yeah. started
1: thinking about the stars. Like, you studied the classics. About our place within
0: that. You studied the classics. You do what you gotta do, and then, like, what the hell am I doing <laughs> this for? Comes about.
1: Yeah, and I, you know what? Now that actually makes me, you know, think about my relationship to my grandmother. And I, yeah. I lived with her for five years in the Bronx.
0: I know. Well, you lived with your grandmother, um, who you called an amateur hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know what? We're going to talk about grandma. I want to quickly ask you about this because you know there are artists. You know, I I enjoy the art. And, and I don't like to pretend like I know either. I'm just like, ooh, what's this? Let me see what I can get out of it. I love when it's there's some kind of emotion. But a lot of the times it's just like, oh, here's a painting. What's next? <laughs> here's a sculpture. <laughs> for me, for me, it's like churches. For me, it's like I love the beautiful effort and love somebody put into it to the creation of this. And I might not always get the message if there is one. But I can really appreciate it, and I love that, and I love, you know, and, and you know, and, and just having that share with others and potentially inspire what that could inspire in others. But now there are artists out there, you know, who repurpose materials. You know, I've seen cute things done with hula hoops scum wrappers. <laughs> what sets mm-hmm. your work apart from others who source salvaged materials?
1: Well, I, I guess we're all in in conversation with e- with each other, and I, I think the way that I think about it is a kind of uh, hidden and and also encapsulating archive, right? Like an alternative history that yeah. is uh, an alternative history display, right? So if like the the installation that you saw at the ICA in Los Angeles, yes, right? Like which... I was in LA for yeah, a month, yeah. Oh, yeah. collected a whole bunch of materials, and then tried to make something that I thought that was responsive. To that the institution's particular yeah. proximity
0: to the area, right? It was close to yeah, Skid Row. Yeah,
1: to Skid Row. Yeah, to Skid Row to the Greyhound bus station. Um, the kinds, the kinds of development and gentrification that's happening all over yeah. Los Angeles, right? And then thinking about the four corners of that room encapsulating the kinds of development or history that's happening and thinking about displacement but then at, then these actual items serving as you know, like as a reminder and a witness and evidence of that kind of displacement. Yeah. So I, I think I think about all the materials is kind of, you know, silent witnesses and that they're speaking to that particular history in that place and time. So it's like it's also like another kind of way of of making a, a snapshot or a picture of something that it it only exists within that particular moment and then it'll never be seen again.
0: Yeah, it, it was so, first of all, I was obsessed. I loved all, you know, the the random Brandy Norwood hair tracks, hair pieces. <laughs> <Yeah>. I, <laughs> I loved all the dolls without the clothing, you know, the, the plastic dolls that had the plastic head and arms and legs, but, but the body was like, Pillow, (laughs) and just filled with and and those suitcases, those heavy suitcases that well, Grandma would call them maletas, you know, the little malet. It was just, and then of course, you know, you also had like your own. The piece also had it was no space, right? No space hidden shelf. It had, um, I want to say, you know, what like the Jesus native scene. (laughs) <laughs> Almost, except with a grown-up there was,
1: Jesus. There was an scene in there?
0: I do Well, look, listen, as as an art person, I can interpret it for myself. Don't you tell me I'm wrong. I'm
1: not telling you you're wrong. <laughs> I'm telling, I'm
0: telling, tell me more. Tell me more.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so tell I, me, I, I don't remember that. <laughs> well, I just remembered, it, it reminded, you know, Jesus behind. For me, it... it it was kind of native scene, but in, like, a zoo formation. It's like, oh, Jesus, behind bars. It's just... There it was a lot of imagery going on, okay? I, I I had my pen and pencil that day, but, you know, you were skipping out of town. So, I don't have my notes from that day anymore. <laughs> but now, let's talk about, the, you, know, you know, collecting these things to tell a story about the time and place of where the this exhibit was to reside and where it did, as, as all of yours do. Again, going back, just a little bit back, you you live with your grandmother. She passed away?
1: Yeah,
0: she passed away in 2011. Hey, Grandma, I, I'm, I'm trying, uh, no, mine's passed away in 2015. So you, you called her an amateur hoarder, an affectionate archivist, another word you, mm-hmm. you used, um, who accepted neighbors' unwanted furniture and belongings. Mm -hmm. I like how you refer to things as possession, you know, things in possessions as silent witnesses. So what about, how did your grandmother influence this idea in you? Because obviously she was like, yes, just bring it in set it right down.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, people would offer it to her and then that was it. That's all she wrote, being in the house. I mean the house was intense at times. Did it have Um, to
0: be rearranged or she just said wherever it fit?
1: (laughs) It was like (laughs) whatever.
0: Did you laugh at her? Did you tell her like what the hell do you need this for?
1: No, you know, I didn't uh, I didn't judge. I didn't prod her too much. Yeah. I tried to clean up where I (laughs) could. But I think, you know, like her her democratic approach to all the material that was being offered to her is what I think, really instilled the, the way that I approach material. Right, because you,
0: because you you were able to find the beauty in it if someone else couldn't.
1: Right, and and then she was, you know, like, yeah, she was the, the amateur historian <laughs> of her, her building, right? Like, mm. the, all these stories were contained within the objects, right? Family stories from the people that had given it to her and people who had moved away or people who had passed away, you know, and, and here she was like a little time capsule of, of the stories of of these people her neighbours that she had relationships with so I think I thought it was
0: beautiful I love that so so now in your opinion it's always in your opinion right (laughs) (laughs) yeah I hope so give me someone else's opinion (laughs) why are people (laughs) why are people so fascinated or obsessed with collecting things do you think stuff
1: stuff I don't know I think it's capitalism (laughs) I'm sorry <laughs> i mean like we're, we're told from like saturday morning cartoons in the 80s you remember that right like uh yeah. getting all all hot under the collar to look at the toy commercials in between the saturday right. morning cartoons and i and i remember specifically like sitting there with a piece of paper and a pencil trying to write down the toys that i wanted
0: right? for christmas like, the
1: commercials were telling me what i wanted
0: <laughs> that's right <laughs>
1: So I think we're, we're shaped pretty early, right? To to be programmed as to what we want or, or what we should desire, the kinds of things that we should want to, you know...
0: Yeah, especially in America, stuff. things make you more valuable. Even though we're yeah. the ones placing the value on these things and it's, it's <laughs> subjective, right?
1: Yeah, the things ain't got nothing to do with
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... Um. generally you know what can we tell about a person by their possessions I, I know because your grandmother knew these people you knew the story behind them but what without knowing people what can their possessions or their discarded junk tell about them
1: well like just, just like a strand of hair right like <laughs> I hope you wore your like, gloves Right, exactly. Like the strand of hair has your DNA. You know, they can, you know, extrapolate and see sure. what your diet is, right? Maybe what your socioeconomic level was, right? But like thinking about, yeah, just like the human residue of like hair or dust or kind of tissue like left on a particular object. Yeah. But I think it also means, you know, what you. You know, economically, like social standing and, and class, as to what you were able to have access to purchase for yourself, what you were, how how the person even viewed themselves. Like, if someone was able to get, uh, you know, take a, a panoramic view real quick of somebody's bedroom, right? Like, that's a tell all, right? It's then. it's a little
0: museum, <laughs> right? I love thinking of people's yeah. space as a little museum. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's all the business. Right? My husband
0: is always telling me when we go to somebody's house, don't touch anything. But I'm like, I want to observe. I want to see. I want to touch. I want to smell. I love this knick-knack. How can we use it? <laughs> What's printed right. on the bottom? You know, I, mm-hmm. I I just love it. And I always do it without permission. But everybody's usually pretty fine with it. But my husband's like, don't embarrass me. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's
1: true especially now Uh, especially right
0: right exactly don't touch anything without a glove so now (laughs) in relation to the things we accumulate because obviously not all things are left behind accidentally right they can be passed on to the next generation which I feel is very presumptuous that any of our loved ones (laughs) wants any of our stupid (laughs) 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 <laughs> well,
1: I mean, but what? then that's where yeah, I like access to wealth comes in, right? Because what? Right. If, if it was like a grandfather clock that was worth <laughs> like ten Gs or something, yes. taking this antique road show, right? Like, yeah, you want it because you want to unload it or something, you know? Yeah, Versus right. It, Grandma wants to give you some... I love. By the way, I like, love the Antiques
0: no. Roadshow, but I'm always like, did you just nick that on the way there? Now you just ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> you should have just kept did it at home. The, did you
1: see the the guy had bought a Rolex in like the 70s? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? You gotta look up that clip because he, he almost passes
0: out when they tell him how much he's worth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, But it's all produced, right? Okay, we're going to do that again. We're going to take it again. From the top. <laughs> this time, go bigger. <laughs> Roll your eyes behind your head. But don't touch the watch oh ever again. It's ours. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. So, but now, whether it's pictures, jewelry, or clothing, right? Why... I guess this is sort of similar, but why do we have a need to be remembered? Or, you know, through our belongings? I mean... Yeah, or is it know. just because we just think there's value to it and we want to just maybe pass something along we don't want to th- we don't want our loved ones when we're gone to think we were just broke pieces of is that what it is <laughs> here's something that might be of value someday maybe
1: there might be something that might be of value but then yeah it's like <coughs> it's thinking about yeah maybe the more that you can consume or the more that that you can collect yeah. somehow that in a way is is a kind of It's a portrait of yourself that you're leaving behind. At least, you know, at the very least, people got to go through your stuff and throw whatever (laughs) out.
0: For me, it's everything. Mom, if you're listening, it's going to be everything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I will, you know, whoever wants, maybe they can have some stuff, but it's just stuff. So, but now, (laughs) in the super, let's let's talk about art, right? fine. Mm -hmm. Fine art. Oh, hello, this is fine art. Welcome to our fine art exhibit.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, in the world of fine art, which can be honestly superficial, right? Where does your art fit into that? I I look at your art as as high art. Uh, Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What she said. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) yeah i guess i don't know maybe the venue determines that
0: oh right right i know okay let's talk about that right because there's gallerist dealers for the type of work that you construct and do you work with dealers or you just work with gallerists i
1: well i have a gallery yeah and uh, I work with them sometimes. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> sometimes. But most of the time, yeah. I, I just tell them to mind their business and let me get to work.
1: <laughs> but yeah, but most, most of the time, uh, the work that I make is, it's is not. being commissioned by not-for-profit institutes. Right, or, or I love that. So like museum venues. So they have all the infrastructure in place to support the pro- kinds of projects that I want to do. And so then that's kind of what determines the whatever i guess like the social status around the particular kind of intervention is the mechanisms that make the whole thing go and then you know institutions have educational components right so there's lots of different people that hopefully are coming into the institutional space and engaging with it and different kinds of conversations are being had about particular things within a gallery or like a commercial gallery setting it's different it's more about uh you know selling selling work for right it has days.
0: to be appraised and then
1: well yeah it's, it's like you know building a market for for a work and for an artist and, and that's you know how most people so pay. is
0: there a, is there a demand for the type of work you do I mean, because honestly, <laughs> honestly, you know, how much space would I need in my Nisha flat to fit a DeVille original? I mean, <laughs> come in. Don't touch out. the we art. Don't touch the art. Walk around it. <laughs> we get to a special commission.
1: <laughs> I come over, leave me a, a little corner in your apartment.
0: I, I love that. I love that. She's, she's, she, oh, is that Abigail? Yes, but she's, she's actually the art for at the moment. So don't touch her. <laughs> Leave her be. She's taking a nap. She's saying mm-hmm. something. Do you have any advice to young or older up and coming artists who might be thinking of going into the business, even in this time with dealers or galleries? Because, you know, a lot of small galleries were already shuttering, I feel like, before any of this, mm-hmm. right? For emerging artists. Does anyone ever ask you, like, do you have any? I mean, I know that's so general. But for for most artists, they look at it, oh, they can probably make a living, even if it's a small living.
1: Yeah, I I would think, or or my advice always is to never stop making whatever it is that you're doing, just to continue doing it to the best of your ability. And I, I feel like the more that it's actually coming from uh, your heart, I love and the that. more that you invest in, in it, it eventually will yield return.
0: Yes, yes, that's what I, that's what I at least keep telling myself. Like one day, an audience will find you, and you won't be doing this for nothing. Are you like that? I
1: love that. <laughs>
0: Real quickly, I'm going to get real, let's, let's just get real trivial with you here. <laughs> oh, okay. In terms of art, you yourself, I feel like, are a walking piece of it at times. You're fashionable, mm-hmm. you know, which is an understatement, I think, for you. What would you describe your sense of style as it correlates maybe to your image as an artist?
1: I don't know actually. That's a good question. <laughs> I mean um, There's
0: lots of yeah. lace, leathers, patents and, and flowers layers. and colors layers, and colors, colors, Purples. Type, right. Layers. Yes. Textiles, yes. shapes and and, and <laughs> <laughs> textures and, yeah. and prints and, and linens and, and...
1: Exactly. It's like making a collage, but on the body.
0: <laughs> okay, so you are just walking collage. hmm A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. I love that. But what I love... But it is... And and this is the thing. When we find ourselves and even in our art and what we create and we spend a lot of time doing it and whether it's on our body or or just you know manifested into a piece of work it's only because we've worked on it for so long and we know ourselves so well it is our job to make it look so easy and obviously I feel like people look at you and like I'm gonna try to do what she does and who knows what the hell they walk out the house looking like
1: (laughs) I don't know if a lot of people are looking at me and saying (laughs) (laughs) no just me okay (laughs) (laughs) Because you know what, like things that look insane on a hanger usually look good on me.
0: Like just like. But that's the thing. That but like am uh. It's it's the same thing. It's like even with music, I'm like, oh, I know I can hear myself. I can do that with my voice, or I can do that with this, or I can do. It's with anything, right? I can, as long as you can see it, it's a natural occurrence. It's nothing you have to force. No. Obviously, yeah. unless you have to force your leg into it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless you need help pouring yourself into it. Yeah, something. yeah.
0: <laughs> By the way, one of my favorite shows, and, and, and it's so me, is absolutely fabulous. And um, um yeah. just so my world comedically, and just the things that Jennifer Saunders as a writer has to say about the world i love it anyway off topic (laughs) let's talk about some of your (laughs) let's talk about some of your your past work yeah My (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: what what work are you talking about which one in particular well i want
0: to let's start with you did a series harlem stories the harlem river blues uh huh. Um, mm-hmm. You were reading about a story that, or or at least you found, you know, a particular story that had to do with an MTA bus depot in Harlem, which once served as a burial ground for past church parishioners. And I don't. I, I'm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did they also have white parishioners, or just white people buried there at the same time? And
1: that that particular site, actually. Um, I think it's it's under development right now. Still. um, Yeah, but but in the... I might be wrong about the dates. I'm, like, being fuzzy right now. And a a friend of mine uh, just sent me a paper that he wrote in depth about that particular site. But so... I don't know if the the site originates from maybe like the 17th century and Mm -hmm. there were cemeteries all in that that area there because that's where the original, I think, shoreline was. So all
0: all sorts of people were buried there.
1: So all kinds of people were buried there, and yes. I think it was probably segregated, the black portion right. was segregated, so that there, was a, there was just a specific African burial spot. Right, except
0: then, the white bodies were exhumed and reburied elsewhere, right. and the black bodies right. were left to be buried under construction.
1: Right. right. From, from various kinds of construction, I think maybe the site had, had been developed or redeveloped maybe about four or five times with the last time being the bus depot that I think was constructed on the site maybe in the 1940s. Um, But now the bus depot is no no more, and I I think the area is being uh, developed. I don't remember what the current status is of of those things. But but but
0: nevertheless, your work there and and your piece and and, and just you of trying to recapture that story at at the Harlem River, um, even though it wasn't necessarily the site, it caught a lot of attention and, um, y- you know, and it's obviously just this bigger, open up this bigger conversations. It's, it's not only do black lives not always matter, but the black lost lives don't, right? Now, and speaking of discarded remains, how did we get to this place where people are more disposable than their belongings, Well, I know it's such a big thing, no,
1: but I I feel like the United States was founded on that, yeah. That they hunted animals out of extinction for pelts, right? Like, that was the the original first kind of like hooves, horns, right?
0: uh, Oh, just just wear fur, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, just fur to export back to Europe, right? So, then if it was founded with that kind of product over everything, over you know, human life, over native life, over, you know, subjugating Africans to this horrible experience of hundreds of years of oppression, then, you know, yeah, I mean, this nation was founded for, <laughs> for free free business, right? Like, not necessarily for freedom of religion no. or whatever democracy is or, you, you know what I mean? And, like, and
0: one of the earlier enterprises were the selling of people. <laughs> exactly, but I, I yeah, but yeah. So I think that those things have buying over, and you know, selling of land that's not ours yet.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's always been clear. Yeah.
0: Well, you say <laughs> think, that, yeah. but you know, it's believe it or not, people are oblivious still <laughs> to that. Yeah. I love how that's your so work. Fortunate. I want to say grand installations can transport people to a certain place in time, depict a particular story, because obviously that's what you do. That's what you take a space for, right? Yeah. You're not limited by just a canvas. Let's just tell a whole story. I want to go back to that day where, you know, the Institute of Contemporary Art, Mm
1: -hmm. no Uh, no space
0: hidden shelter.
1: Right,
0: Los Angeles. I Los think, yeah, Angeles. Yeah. Now, it, right off of Skid Row, you know, and I'm still a struggling artist, by the way. And trust me, my parents, they're still not so very proud of me. But I came from a place <laughs> where, what are you doing with your life? Now, I came from a place where, you know, even though I don't have much, if I have it, anything, I'm giving it to you. Whether it's a sandwich, a water bottle. I mean, me and my husband were like, let's just buy something extra just in case. Because someone is always... Going to need food. Mm-hmm. But now the juxtaposition of entering that gallery space, you know, you come from outside, you go as, as soon as you walk in, there's DJs and cocktails and hors d'oeuvres. And, and while the very people, you know, out, just outside of this event, it's their stories that are at least being highlighted by your exhibition, maybe not the other exhibitions. Does anyone ever get this irony? Does anyone ever get it? I, mean, I, I felt so I, I, guilty. I'm like, are we also serving this champagne to the people outside? <laughs> Can we just let them in?
1: <laughs> I think that's that's partially my point. Yeah, right? it's inserting outside of reali- realities into these sanitized uh, institutional spaces. Sanitized. And I think, and people know that, and and that's why they invite me to do the kinds of things that I do. But, yeah. Yeah, it's, do you, it's not do you, so
0: much mm-hmm. No, go ahead, I'm sorry No, it's
1: it's not so much of hmm.
0: <laughs> Nah, nah well, let's, let's, <laughs> move on, <laughs> let's move on Okay, well then, <laughs> let me help you Do you ever expect your or, Do you ever expect your audience, or even demand that they not just get it, but maybe after this talk about it, or do something about it or is that too much to ask of people? like how do you inspire or encourage others to be active participants in your work you can't right is that you're not like a preacher I, I, or anything
1: <laughs> no but I, I i hope that sometimes that i can make something that would be enough to maybe jolt someone out of their their every yeah. everydayness right and then then maybe that's planting a seed for different kinds of thoughts right like like preparing them to think about something or seeing something in a new way yeah. and I think that's, that's probably the most that you could actually do in yeah. terms of trying to work to change people's minds about something or their perceptions about something yeah. but I mean for any little also, thing
0: I mean just to be a, pur- pur- a purposeful neighbor you, you you can be an activist in some sort of form
1: hmm yeah. absolutely yeah you stock of the world around you and the yeah. people around you well
0: I mean, it, it, you said in one of the, the interviews that I, uh, that I just watched yesterday, y- you know that, and and, oh, and whether it's LA or anywhere else, you've been in places where, yes, you have somebody with a suitcase just walking over someone. Yeah,
1: that was very
0: That's, specific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> she's like, oh no, that was Jimmy. He was walking over Jimmy. <laughs> no, that
1: was in Vancouver, in guest Town. Yeah. And it was, in 2013, and and the whole neighborhood had been started, like
0: gentrified,
1: gentrified because of the, the 2010 uh, Winter Olympics. Yeah, but there was a, a not for profit space there where I was doing an exhibition, and that neighborhood is not unlike Skid Row in Los Angeles. Yeah, and so it was like the first what, time that I saw.
0: But when you think about, you know, proposition, you know, um, you know, having an event like that, right? The Olympics. The area, the mayor, they, they don't even have time to insert, you know, programs to replace all these, you know, or, or to accommodate all these displaced people. They won't even have enough time because they're spending so much money and all their resources into building something for people who could afford to go to these events.
1: That's true. And, and uh, what was really What's really interesting about Gastown in particular is that they've had a a long-standing, like, clean needle exchange program and all all of these different social programs for the community that lives there. And so, I mean, the last time I was there was in 2013. I'm sure it's really different now. But it was that, like, you know, going to work at the gallery at, like, 7 o'clock in the morning and thinking about the art that you're making about the history of this place and then seeing somebody just, you know, in pain like laying in a gutter and, yeah. and some you know, young professional almost stepping over them you know on their way to work and then thinking about how you're you're the kind of witness caught in between these two realities right where you're also at a privileged distance right where yeah. you're trying to make an artwork about all of these things that are unfolding simultaneously but then you're kind of like caught in the middle so and yeah. it also puts put something on you it's just so what are you doing you know what are you what doing th- what are you I there? know yeah what so and, I mean and, that, yeah. was, that was a moment of almost existential crisis <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> so pulling out yeah. your hair so I yeah.
0: feel like I feel like it's from a Wayne's movie I can't remember I feel like you know a sandwich is given to a homeless person and then as they walk away the sandwich hits them in the head I don't want that um <laughs> but I feel like it could be the opposite as someone you know you you see somebody walking past someone you hit them with the sandwich like give that to them. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> now, you know you work mm-hmm. as 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 much time and thought you put into it in in the hopes that someone can gain something from it or not, right? I mean Sometimes you can't help that. You're just making art for yourself. This is the story I want to tell. You know, I don't care who, you know, this is, if you need to hear, well, we all need to hear it, but if you're not receptive of, of it, then I can't control that. But this is the story I'm going to tell regardless.
1: Well, I think that's why I try to make as many entry points as possible for different folks yes. to, to be able but, to enter into
0: the work. But now your exhibitions aren't always to Abigail. <laughs> now, <a> new migration. <laughs> oh, god. Yeah, Yay! An in, in installation, it, it, I mean, let's talk deep. An installation that was to evoke the great migration of African Americans who fled north during the Jim Crow era. You, now as part of the Five by Five Festival, a statewide, a citywide <laughs> festival, you had a storefront art installation in Anacostia. The Nacotia, Washington, yeah, D.C. I don't know. <laughs> Who's that? I never dated, huh? No. <laughs> because of complaints, your storefront installation was removed after community members complained that it looked like junk. <laughs> People <laughs> called it an eyesore, an yeah. offensive.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that, that-, that was definitely a great learning opportunity. <laughs>
0: you know what's so funny when i went to the la because my husband knows my humor and we go into but i'm making in front of everyone else i'm looking at other people like what are they thinking i'm like they must be thinking like what's this garbage but (laughs) (laughs) does that hurt your feelings that 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 or or what does it make you feel
1: um and that that mom and i don't really remember anymore how it felt uh, <laughs> you people I'm don't angry.
0: get
1: it i i was angry more at um the people that I, that facilitated that who backed uh, down festival. no 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 well they yeah there to was, the
0: pressure there
1: was, there was a thing that that was being kind of cultivated with specifically having a, a like a distance or you know, not really involving the community in what was happening. It was just, you know, the city was a the backdrop. They invited artists from outside of the city to come and make things wherever they felt like it. And so that... But they, did, they obviously of, didn't
0: fully vet you.
1: <laughs> no, well, but there were lots of conversations about what is actually the role of the public in public art. Like, should they be able to weigh in and... and um, the organization that, that facilitated that whole thing didn't really care about any of that. And, and, um, so that's, that's really, and there was also this kind of, you know, the politics of sites. So that's what really was just a kind of, um, a real learning curve moment for me because all of the sites where I did these installations and these vacant storefronts, I didn't know, uh, prior to me going there and deciding that I wanted to do this in this particular place that these sites, were being kept purposely empty for at least a decade by the government and that the neighborhood the forget about affordable housing yeah that that area that whole area was built in i think in the 1860s it was originally called Uniontown, and the developer that built it he went bust and uh, originally there were no irish no black people were allowed to live in the town which now is a Since I think the 50s is a predominantly African-American neighborhood, but the houses have a historic preservation status, so they can't be knocked down. So the the government is waiting for these houses, keeps quietly buying up properties and waiting for these places just to completely collapse. Yeah. In order for them to be able to, you know, knock them down and do whatever they want in terms of development for for that particular area, and so the the actual people, the citizens, the taxpayers of that neighborhood were, had zero access to those spaces, and they had been trying for years. So they wanted to know why was I as an outsider given permission oh. to have access to these spaces? So it was a real it was a real contentious thing that went on and on and on um, and this is something you
0: agree with you're like you're right
1: yeah why should i have the access
0: to this
1: (laughs) yeah it was it was a very painful process because you know it's very easy sometimes for artists to find themselves in these uh sticky situations because people are always trying to you know um use people, you know, use people to change the idea of a space or a place, right? Like, renaming of a neighborhood is the first kind of pass of, you know, gentrification or development, right? Like, we're just going to rename this whole thing. Yeah. And and front, like, we don't know that all of these people have been living here for decades and struggling.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, and and, and those are things you can't control. You don't know until you get there.
1: I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't do enough uh, homework, and every time I kept asking people you know, because I kept trying to make contact with uh, different community members. Like I was, I was so desperate. I was just like talking to old man in the street. I was like, "Take me to church." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, gave,
0: I gave my man, I gave my number to this man. He <laughs> kept calling me. <laughs> he was really try hey, to ba- take me to hey, church. Hey baby, you want to go out to <laughs> IHOPs? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was stressful. I love that. I love that. Who's this new whore in town? <laughs> so, but now you've you've done installations and processionals in the U.S. and Europe. Any plans to showcase your work in the motherland? I know Cape Town and Dakar are big places for art. I mean, obviously, when we can travel. Um, no, I don't
1: have any plans for okay. that, but I would love to do that. Right.
0: Well, get on it, sister.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did do a procession with uh, director Charlotte Brathwaite in 2018 in Accra for the Charlie Wote Festival there. And that was <laughs> amazing. And I, I was able to make an installation in a former slave fort there, too, in <sighs> Jamestown.
0: Well, well speaking of, because you know, y- mm-hmm. you're an art connoisseur, we visit other exhibits. <laughs> You once visited a Confederate museum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm paraphrasing, but but without the subject matter, you f- you discovered a sense that people you people are able to convey love through the creation of something, anything, for someone they love.
1: Well, that's the, man, and maybe that's the thing. Going back to the objects, w- w- the question you had brought up earlier about. Uh, the objects that people leave behind for family members, yeah. right? Like maybe... They, if they take care of that, it. That, that that sweater for that loved one. Yeah, there was love and that, you know, was translated from their fingertips into the material that they were manipulating. And hopefully, you know, they're thinking that that material might create warmth or care and love for uh, a future family member yeah. uh, that, that could talk over space and time that they're not going to be present for. But yeah, there was... Yeah. There there was a Confederacy Museum in Richmond, uh, Virginia, which is now some, uh, it's moved from the location that I originally went to, but there was an oddities exhibition in the basement there, which was really interesting because it had all of these handmade items that people made for lovers, brothers, you know, friends who were fighting for the Confederacy, and some things were made by slaves. And so then that was in the moment that... I, it kind of rattled me, you know, to the core a little bit thinking about how that all of this 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 history doesn't belong to a particular group, you know, like the Daughters of the Confederacy or something that this is actual American history that belongs to all of us.
0: Right. I love I love that. Now, we don't have much time, but <laughs> I, I just want to get your opinion real quick uh, in this topic speaking of repatriation. And, and for my listeners, I had to look it up, so calm down, guys. I'll explain <laughs> it to you. Repatriation is the return of art or cultural heritage. Ancient, this is from Wikipedia. Ancient or looted art to their rightful country of origin or former owners or their heirs. Oftentimes, these property and these items and physical artifacts belong to a group or society, and they were taken from another group in an act of looting, whether through imperialism, colonialism, war, They can include sculptures, paintings, monuments, objects, tools, weapons, um, but they're kept as anthropological studies, um, and they also sometimes keep human remains, right? What is your take on that? I mean, I feel like because of quarantine, it's proven that we can just see this shit online. Just returned it. (laughs) (laughs) Just give it back. Give it back. We'll see it online. Give us a tour online.
1: There's a really good documentary that the BBC produced. uh, I think it's called The History of Color in Three. Mm -hmm. And there's one on on the color of white and it's kind of dubious uh, history. Mm -hmm. But in it, it talks about (laughs) the white
0: moon.
1: Right. The (laughs) white moon of uh, these Greek... These sculptures are an an architectural element that was on... I don't remember the building now. in, In... in Greece, and it was taken by the British, and it's been in their you know, holdings and museum this whole time, and then at some point in the 20th century, uh, some some donor person insisted that the sculptures be whitened, so that they were stripped of the original color, the layers of color they, they had on them, and yeah. it was actually whitened, which all just fuels this kind of...
0: Uh, like, literally.
1: Uh, project. The project of white supremacy, right? But... Anyway, but I think, yeah, I think the whole idea that people can't take care of the objects that their culture and that their ancestors produce is just lunacy.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, well, it, it, this hour goes by so fast. We never <laughs> have time. I know you are um, have some works that have been put on hold. I knew you're working on something entitled No Space Hidden Under Heaven. Yes. And something having to do with a labyrinth and wind chimes and junk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I don't mean to just. Dis- <laughs>
0: <laughs> any any particular themes you're working on with those? Uh,
1: with with that piece in particular, I was going to use the lit- literal holdings the or um, material history that is in. The libraries and collections at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. It was an exhibition that was slated to open on April first at the Institute for the Humanities. Yeah. Um, but that's that's not that's not happening right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. hopefully in the future. Dot dot dot. Yeah. Um, well, yeah.
0: Well, That's 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 okay. I mean, I mean, <laughs> w- what do you do then to? Do you have to do anything specifically to ensure that you're keeping the project move forward to some capacity?
1: Well, yeah, I'm working on the plans for it now. I'm being uh, optimistic that it'll it'll find a place and, and be able to happen sometime in the future.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so very much for for joining me, Miss Abigail. I I didn't even know you had. It. I'm like, oh, I know her middle name now. Hola. Yes. Yeah. You I thought you know I'm
1: gonna name this was like, oh wow, you're blowing
0: up the full government today. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but but you I feel like you had a project with the word dawn in it.
1: Oh yeah, New York yeah. Was that yeah, yeah, was yeah. that
0: purposeful or that just, just happened?
1: That was purposeful, but yeah.
0: it was taken from a Garcia Lorca poem. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. For, for, I, I, real quickly, what do you want people to get? At the end of the day, from your work, I know, I know it's our history. We're all interconnected, you know. You're a believer that five percent, you know, of you know of all of us are made up of stardust and all that jazz. <laughs> what is it? Ultimate, the ultimate takeaway from your work that you want people to get? Um, actually,
1: the the largeness of us, right? Like our capacity for greatness, right? if we actually come together and sometimes, you know, a lot lot of times, depending on where you start out in life, uh, how you see yourself is inaccurate, right? And then how we're actually a part of a whole kind of solar system that's happening here and not just like whatever.
0: uh, It's not just about us. We're so small in the the universe.
1: But we're also a part of the universe. Yeah, yeah. We're all a part of each other and just thinking about what that means and how we could be mindful of that from day to day and how that could govern our actions.
0: I love that. And and, and, and speaking of mm-hmm. the, you know how we're all interconnected what happens to the stuff we know What when it when you get it and you repurpose it what happens to that stuff after you use it?
1: Most of the time it goes back to wherever I, I found it or the garbage uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so much for repurposing forever
1: uh-huh. but now and some of your work st- st-
0: but some of your work stays commissioned right where can we see some of your work hmm that's a good- <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should have um, had and written down somewhere where we can find some of your work in the meantime I know where people can find out more information about that by the way so let's share that for more information about Abigail and everything she does She has uh, a bio and about her on art21.org. You have an extensive portfolio of work on michaelrain.com or Michelle Mitchell Rain. I guess it's French. (laughs) Michelle. (laughs) Michelle. Michelle. (laughs) M-I-C-H-E-L-R-E-I-N.com. You could see Abigail's full portfolio. You can find her on Instagram at Victorious Purple. Facebook at Abigail.Deville. Just Google her. Abigail DeVille for everything we do here radiofreebrooklyn.com and for everything I do junkandjam.com. Thank you Abigail.
1: This episode and all episodes of the Junk and Jam Hour can be streamed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeart Podcasts, Google Play Music and simply tell Alexa, "Play the Junk and Jam Hour." Thank you.